Hey moms, welcome to Mentoring Moments. I'm Dorinda Wilson. I've been a homeschooling mom for over 24 years and I've graduated six of our eight kids so far. I'm the author of The Unhurried Homeschooler and host of my podcast, Dorinda Wilson. Uh, Mentoring Moments is a short episode answering one question at a time of the many questions that I get from homeschooling moms. And today, what I'm doing is I'm recording on a Facebook Live, but I'm also at the same time recording a podcast. So if you want to listen in um, on the podcast at any point, you can do that. Uh, That will be posted next week. Otherwise, this video will be recorded and put up on this Facebook page for you guys to watch later or to share with your friends. Today, I am sharing with you what I believe are the five most important things that we have taught our kids over our 24 years of homeschooling. Now, if you guessed uh, that those things have very little to do with math or language arts or history or science, you would be absolutely right. I used to hear that character was the most important thing that we should work on with our kids. And I wasn't exactly sure what that meant. You know, how did that flesh out in real life? Well, it didn't mean that you don't teach them math or language arts. It really just meant that if you have to choose between character and curriculum in any given moment, I would say almost 100% of the time, choose character. Now that can be really tough at the moment, Um, But in the big scheme of things, it makes a huge difference. And it actually ultimately does impact our kids' learning because it's much easier to homeschool kids whose attitudes and actions aren't out of control. So if you start there, it makes the rest of the work more doable. Some days it will feel like character is all you're working on, and that is okay. I have had days like that. I have sometimes had a week like that where I have had to just stop the schoolwork because we just it was just not uh, working, and we would focus just on character, and usually I used chores and working and uh, doing things together. We would do some fun things together, but we would also do a lot of working alongside one another to help bring out those character issues, and then be able to take the time to work on them. And you know what? My kids were no worse for the wear taking that time off. And you know what? I actually think that they were better off. So here are the five most important things that I feel like we have taught our kids. So this is in hindsight after 24 years, graduating six with two left at home. Okay, are you ready? First thing is a love of learning. So we wanted our kids to become lifelong learners because we figured if they loved learning and they knew how to learn, they could do anything. So the sky's the limit. There would be no need for me to worry that I hadn't prepared them well enough. Right? Doesn't that make sense? If they if they love learning and they enjoy it and they know how to learn and they know how they learn, they can do anything. Like I said, the sky is the limit. And that's really what we want our kids. We don't want to limit our kids. We want to give them the most possibilities, right? That means that we need to instill in them a love of learning. Really what I like to say a lot of the time is 
it's not us taking a blank slate and instilling this love of learning. Our kids come to us curious. They come to us wanting to learn. Have you ever seen a little baby that doesn't model what the parents are doing or what the siblings are doing? Um, Have you ever noticed they're always wanting to do the next thing? Unless there's something developmentally, you know, that's challenging them. For the most part, they want to learn. And a lot of times, even those kids with challenges will figure out ways around those challenges because they want to learn. So they come to us wanting to learn. So really, our job is just not to burn them out. So that's kind of the the stance that I took as we went into our homeschooling journey. I thought, you know what? These kids love to learn. So how can I just continue to encourage that? And I I think the best way we can do that is to keep learning as enjoyable as possible. And honestly, I feel like if they don't really realize they're learning, that's the best ever, right? If if they don't think of it as, oh, now I'm learning... um, all, it just it just becomes a part of who they are. You know, I think this is one thing that's happened um, in the traditional school system. The kids just, they equate learning with uh, rigid rules and bookwork and lists of things to get done and passing or failing and all these pressures. And we have anxiety-ridden children. Anxiety in children at young, young ages all the way on up is through the roof. And you know what? We have the choice as homeschooling parents to do it differently, right? We took our kids out of a system that we felt like wasn't gonna work for them. So let's not go back to it, okay? I think there's pieces of it that we can use um, that are helpful. We should pick and choose those things. I, I Somebody once said, It's like anything you listen to. You chew up the meat and spit out the bones. So take what works for you and leave the rest behind and don't look back. Okay, so um, another way that I felt like we could really encourage a love of learning is not to force learning because we know, we know that forced learning isn't real learning, right? When we force our kids to learn a bunch of facts, how long do you think they're gonna remember them? Probably not very long. And isn't that the point? We want them to remember or we want them to acquire a skill from, uh, from that particular exercise if you're doing something in math. And you know, they drop it like a hot potato when it's not something that resonates with them at the time. I'm not saying they have to enjoy every little jot and tittle of their learning. That is not true. But I feel like if we're gonna work on character and we're gonna work on perseverance and we're gonna work on stick-to-itiveness, let's kind of take tend to leave that over in the chore category and the following our directions category and the relationships with their siblings category. And especially in the early years, we want learning to mostly just be super enjoyable, relaxed, unhurried. Um, So if my kids didn't show any interest in learning to read, I did not force it. I told myself that I would be patient and work on their timetable, not my own. Now, I will confess that I completely blew this with our oldest one once. I told myself, because I had done a lot of reading um, by a gentleman named Dr. Raymond Moore, who is considered sort of the grandfather of homeschooling, sort of brought homeschooling back on the scene, because homeschooling was a, was, a, was a thing all the way up to the point that we... Uh, that the the system, the public school system came into being and compulsory attendance became a thing. 
kids were, they were educated at home or in one room schoolhouses, which were, you know, uh, very simple and straightforward and a lot like a family setting. But again, I read a lot of information from this gentleman and he was a very, very well-educated educator who actually homeschooled his two children. And he talks a lot about uh, that whole unhurried approach. And so that's the approach I really felt like we needed to take with our kids. And this is something you need to listen to. If you've got that mom intuition of, you know what, I just, I need, I really want to do it this way. I, this, is, this is something I like to tell homeschooling moms all the time. If there was no one telling you what to do or how to do it with your kids, how to do this homeschooling thing, and I know that there can be helpful resources out there, but just for a minute, stop and think about what would you do? How would you homeschool if you had the option to homeschool them the way you wanted to, to teach them the way you wanted to, to spend the time with them the way that you wanted to? What would that look like? Now, I know in some states there are certain laws and different things that you have to work within those parameters, but I really think we can be pretty darn creative in the way that we do that. And I'm just encouraging you to lean towards that mom intuition that you have in what it is you want to do with your kids. What kind of um, approach do you want to take with them? And do your best to take that approach because that is your mom heart coming out that God's given you for your particular children and something that would be a better fit for you as well. Because as we're homeschooling these kids, remember... This whole homeschooling journey needs to not just be a good fit for our kids, it needs to be somewhat of a good fit for us as moms as well. So back to my first child, um, I had read all these things and told myself I'm not going to push her. And she was around six years old when she started to show some interest in wanting to learn. So I sat down and we were just kind of making really good progress, you know, for several lessons. I used 100 easy lessons to teach your child to read and teaches them to read phonetically and she was doing great. And then all of a sudden she hit a wall and oh my goodness, she was feeling very, all of a sudden I could just see the, the, the tension and the stress and the anxiety and she started to tear up. And at that point, it, I realized what I was doing and I thought, I am not doing this. I just looked at her and said, you know what? We don't have to do this right now. Why don't you just go play and we'll do this some other time when you're ready for it. And I never went back to it. I waited a while and then I when I when I went back to it, I went back to it very relaxed and very much like, "Hey, what do you think about doing some reading lessons?" And if she showed any like stress at all, I said, "You know, it's okay if you don't want to do it. That's fine. We'll we'll do it some other time." And eventually, she really wanted to get back to it. And then I just tried to keep it as relaxed as possible. And you know what? She took off. She did well. She taught all of our kids from number four all the way, uh, numbers four through seven, she taught all of them to read. I taught the last one to read and the first three. So she was a great help with that. And she is an avid reader to this day. She's 28 years old. She's had four kids. She's planning to homeschool them. So um, all that to say, uh, just not forcing learning, especially in those early years. A lot of times when we're feeling like it's being forced, it's either time for a break, maybe just a brief break, but maybe a little longer break, maybe a pause on that particular concept or that particular subject for a while. So we want to create um, an environment that is conducive to a love of learning. 
Another thing that I read about by uh, Dr. Raymond Moore uh, regarding this unhurried approach, and this all relates to a love of learning, is if you don't burn them out in those early years, eventually they take off on their own. And you know what? By the time they are, you know, it depends on the child, but I would say around 12 years old, when most kids have lost interest in learning, this is when our kids began to just take off. Because what happened was all of a sudden, because they hadn't been rushed and they hadn't been pushed, um, they saw learning as fun. They recognized around that age what they were capable of. All of a sudden, they were they were saying to me, wow, I could learn about this and I could learn about this. And they were getting super excited about all the different things that they could learn. And so this unhurried approach requires patience, but it really does pay off. And, you know, it's one of the reasons that I wrote The Unhurried Homeschooler. If you haven't checked that out, it's on Amazon. It's a simple, mercifully short book on homeschooling. It's just sharing our story of what that looked like for our family. So... Again, back to this uh, encouraging a love of learning. Uh, In our experience, as we continued this unhurried approach, I found that it became easier to let our kids become more self-directed in their learning because I was seeing how much they were teaching themselves. So that was super exciting. And it really took the pressure off of me as a mom because this self-directed learning means they're owning what they're doing. It means that they're taking ownership And I was there and available to help or to guide them to resources, have conversations about where they were going with things and what they wanted to do and what kind of resources they needed. But really, other than the basics, making sure that they were getting the basics every day, I was following their lead. And to this day, these kids, I'm telling you, they're adults now. They have so many different interests and they're constantly pursuing um, all these different interests on top of the things that they normally do um, for work or as a couple of our daughters are married with kids. And they're just always telling me new and interesting things that they're learning. And that was my hope. That was my prayer for them. And uh, that's what's happened. And it's so exciting to see And again, early on, this whole unhurried approach looked a little bit different than when they got older. But the thing that was interesting is, like I said before, when they got to be around 12 years old, they started just sort of taking off and really owning things. And so they were studying more. Some of it was encouraged by me as they got into high school because they were earning credits and all that, but they wanted to do it. They owned it by then and they weren't burnt out. And that was really a fun thing for me to see as a mom that as they uh, continued through their high school years and they, and they got to graduation, they earned that diploma. Like they were the ones who were motivated. They were the ones who took the initiative. I was there as a resource. I was there to, you know, flesh things out with them a little bit, but really I let them carry most of that responsibility. And that was one of the best things um, that I could have done. Okay. So one is a love of learning. Second thing is to be resourceful. Okay. So what that meant when we first started homeschooling, there was no internet. And so we were teaching them, well, you could go to the encyclopedia, you can go to the library, this is how you use the library, these are the books, you know, let's let's look for the books that would help you find out what it is you want to know. And that's 
still a way to be resourceful, but really so much of that has changed with the internet. Now it's really about checking their sources. You know, we really need to watch for where are we getting our information. Simple things like when you go to read an article, are there facts that are cited in the article that little footnotes that tell you where they got their information? So things like that are really important to be teaching our kids. Those a lot of times you can find little classes on that. Uh, our kids took. Uh, Several of our kids took some classes on uh, kind of how to source that stuff out. And I think uh, places like OutSchool, which is an online uh, school forum, um, not a public school one, but just an you know out-of-school one, and a lot of homeschoolers will use it. That might be a place to look for that. But um, So checking their sources, uh, diversifying their sources. We're not just going to the internet. We're talking to actual people who are in the field that we're interested in or do the thing that we're trying to um, learn more about. And this is a great way for our kids to learn people skills, to learn how to... Um, talk to adults and what I have found over the years is when my is when my kids had an interest in what someone did as a career or as a hobby that person was so helpful they loved being able to share their information and their knowledge and their experience with our kids so that's another way that our kids can be resourceful um, being resourceful also means, if one resource doesn't work out, that they keep looking. So we're problem solving. We're not giving up. Well, like I Googled it and I couldn't find anything, so I'm done. No, what we want is we want them to own what they're doing and they're going to say, okay, I didn't find really what I was looking for on the internet. So I'm going to try to um, ask around or see if I can find somebody who does this for a living, someone I can talk to, ask my parents. So we're teaching them to be resourceful in those ways, which also leads right into ownership, taking responsibility for their life choices, including their education, their chores, their relationships. So this resourcefulness is really um, kind of has a broad spectrum. When our kids are doing chores and they run into an obstacle, that they don't give up, but they instead think through, how can I problem solve? How can I fix this problem? Okay, this rake broke, so how can I, how can I get this job done still? And they're resourceful enough to go figure out how to do that. So first thing is a love of learning. Second was to be resourceful. Third is a strong work ethic. So this is one that my husband and I felt strongly about, but we didn't necessarily think to have it on our original list, our little mission statement that we had when it came to teaching our kids. Someone had encouraged me early on. Um, <clears throat> I'm not even sure if it was a person or if it was the Lord, but I just really felt like I needed to write down what the most important things were that we wanted to teach our kids. So uh, loving learning and being resourceful, resourceful were a couple of them. Later on, I added this strong work ethic because um, it really does make a difference. Our oldest son actually encouraged me to add this because he said, you can love learning and you can be resourceful, but if you don't have the perseverance and the strong work ethic to go along with it, to persevere and to push through, it doesn't really mean anything or it means a whole lot less. You're not going to make the kind of progress. You're not going to uh, reach the goals that you want to reach if you don't have that strong 
work ethic. And it's this is the thing that our grown kids tell us was really at the top of the list of the of the most useful things that we have taught them. So this whole process of teaching a good work ethic is not easy, and it did not make my husband and I necessarily very popular with our kids at times. But I am telling you, they are thanking us now. It's one thing that we just felt very strongly about, and we're so thankful that we listened to that intuition So the ways that we taught a work ethic was first of all, by example, you know, if we are a lazy parent and we're trying to get our kids to have a good work ethic, it's not going to go very well because more is caught than taught. They're going to hear your words, but they're going to watch your actions. So we need to make sure that we are setting an example of having a strong work ethic. Probably the biggest way that we taught our kids work, good work ethic was through chores, And as I mentioned earlier, uh, little to none of that work ethic, especially in the early years, happened in book work because we wanted our kids to continue to love learning. Sometimes they need to be pushed a little bit, but really in those younger years, those early elementary years, we really, really want to make sure that we're teaching them the work ethic in their chores and in their relationships with their siblings. So as they got older and more able to handle a little more um, work ethic type thinking when it came to their schoolwork, uh, when their brains were more developed, that was totally fine. But again, we really uh, didn't want to burn them out on learning, even in the you know middle school, high school years. And it can be really easy to kind of freak out during those years because... Um, high school feels intimidating, but honestly, it should be one of the best times with our kids. And at some point, I'd like to do uh, another podcast on that, but I do have one that I've already done with a friend of mine, and I will post that on here. Uh, She is a, um, a veteran homeschool mom, just like me, and has eight kids and has been homeschooling uh, longer than me, just a couple years longer. So uh, we talk about the high school years uh, on that podcast. So I'll make sure that I share that in in the notes here. So again, work ethic. So we've got love of learning, we've got being resourceful, and we have a strong work ethic. Fourth thing, the value of relationships. Mostly, especially in the early years again, we taught this through relationships at home between the siblings. Nurturing sibling relationships was a very high priority for my husband and myself. And um, there are several reasons for that. The first was we wanted our kids to learn that even though relationships can be a lot of work, that they are a worthwhile and long-term investment. We wanted our kids to um, own their part in their relationships, including their mistakes, and understand what healthy relationships look like. Because the bottom line is we are preparing our kids for marriage, for friendships, we're preparing them for the workplace. There are relationships in all of those places that are really, really important to be able to navigate. And our kids learned 
through the growing up years and through all their years at home together what a healthy relationship looks like. And another very important thing that we're, as believers, we are are teaching our kids when it comes to nurturing sibling relationships is how to be the body of Christ to each other. I think because the family is so fragmented in our culture, the body of Christ struggles with knowing what does it look like to have these sibling relationships between brothers and sisters in the Lord? What does a healthy relationship look like? And what I love about the New Testament is there uh, is that it speaks many, many, many times to um, what it looks like to be the body of Christ to each other, but it also works really, really well as a guideline for nurturing sibling relationships. And I talk about that in my sibling relationship um, uh, workshop that I do at conferences. So um, again, this value of relationships is absolutely important because again, we are preparing our kids We want their marriages to last. We want their marriages to be healthy and to be good. And we and one of the ways we we encourage that was um, the you know the siblings uh, opposite sex. You know the the guys understanding and the girls understanding that we're not created the same. You know I know the culture wants to tell us something different, but they're dead wrong. You know having a creator changes everything. We have a creator that made us male and female. Yes, some, you know, there's a sliding scale of, you know, just how male and how female, and I get all that, and that's all part of God's plan. It's totally, you know, there's there's girls who are more tomboyish. That's totally fine. <clears throat> there are guys that are more sensitive, more artistic. My husband isn't necessarily more sensitive, but he is artistic and has uh, some of those those types of qualities. But my point is that when we understand that we are created equal but different, then we can appreciate the strengths that we have, that, that the other person has that we don't have. For instance, I appreciate my husband's physical strength a lot. He does a lot of things that I can't do and I don't want to do, right? <laughs> and I do things he's not, he doesn't want to do either. I multitask. I'm very much about relationships. Relationships wear him out, you know, so we make a great team. My point is our kids need to see that. They can begin to see that in our marriages, but also in their relationship as siblings and begin to really respect that. And that's what you want. You want a mutual respect in their future marriage. And so, that's one of the things that happens. Our kids learned about different personalities because, you know, with eight of them, they were vast and varied, right? So what happened is they learned, oh, um, now when they're on the job, they'll meet somebody and they'll say, oh, that person is a lot like my brother so-and-so, and I know how to respond to that. I know what they need and what bothers them, and I know why, so I can react and respond accordingly and have a better working relationship with them. You see how that all works? It's very, very cool. So this is why taking the time to nurture sibling relationships and build character in that particular area, that needs to be very much part and parcel to our homeschooling. So I'll go back through the list. Love of learning, being resourceful, strong work ethic, the value of relationships, and last but not least, 
and absolutely most importantly, is passing on our faith to our kids. Now, one of the main reasons that uh, we decided to homeschool is that we felt a responsibility to disciple our kids. We felt like that meant that we needed to actually spend more than a few hours a day with them. Because education really is discipleship. Our kids are being discipled wherever they are spending copious amounts of time. So because my husband and I wanted to be sure that um, they were being discipled in our faith, we decided not to send them to school. Now, the statistics are saying that 75%, quite possibly more, there's, I see different statistics in different places, but at minimum, 75% of kids who were raised in the church have left the faith by the time they are adults. You guys, that should raise the hair on the back of our necks. That is frightening. But it also shows the impact that discipleship has on our kids. It matters. I often say this, education is discipleship. Discipleship is rooted in relationships, and relationships take time. Last week, I shared the two main methods of educating, Um, but I'm going to share them again in case you weren't there. There's lots of different ways that you can educate, but all of them basically fall under two main categories. There's the Greek method and there's the Hebrew method. Now, the Greek method is what we see in the traditional classroom when you've got a teacher just sort of disseminating information and um, having a plan and making everybody do the plan. And there's um, just a lot of, uh, it's not very relational. Okay, the Hebrew method, however, is vastly different than that. The way it worked in the Hebrew culture was that the students would literally walk alongside and live with the person who was teaching them. Okay, guess what? We have that opportunity in homeschooling our kids to have them walk alongside of us. And as it talks about in Deuteronomy, where we are speaking about our faith and we're reminding our kids about our faith when we rise up and when we sit down and when we lie down and when we walk along the way, you can just hear the unhurried approach and the very much a discipleship approach in those verses. You guys, we have that opportunity as homeschooling parents to walk that out with our kids. Our kids become who they hang out with. So if our kids, um, we, my husband and I decided if our kids hung out with us, we had a responsibility to walk out a real and authentic relationship with God. So we didn't model religion, we modeled a relationship with a real and living God who cares about our every day. So we were real with our kids. Um, We shared our struggles and challenges in an age-appropriate way. If our family was struggling financially, we would talk to them about it in an age-appropriate way. We did not um, want them to be carrying adult burdens, but at the same time, so we always, you know, spoke with hope and with faith, but we would tell them, you know, this is hard, and um, but we know God's going to provide, and we just have to wait and see how He's going to do that. 
but this is why we can't take you to Disneyland or we can't do this thing that you know your friends are doing. Um, God has something else for us right now. Do you see the conversation that's happening there? We're saying God is Lord of our lives and this is what that looks like when we're living out our everyday. And then as God answers our prayers, we celebrate with our kids. We point out the answers that he's given and we walk in this real relationship. We model this real relationship with God to our children. We walk out the gospel. What is the gospel? Look, I messed up. I need help. I need redemption. Jesus died for me, so my sins are forgiven. But I have, you know, I've messed up right now. You know, we're talking to our kids and we're saying, I shouldn't have treated you that way. That was wrong. And I'm sorry. That was not respectful. It wasn't loving. And I, will you forgive me? You know, so we're walking out that. We're walking that out in the sibling relationships, you know, teaching our kids to make things right with each other to not uh, let resentment and bitterness grow. This all, you know, our faith encompasses, it should encompass and permeate all of these other things that we're doing. The love of learning, the being resourceful, the work ethic. Um, You know, it talks a lot in Proverbs about... uh, how God honors diligence, you know, so we can bring that into the picture. Uh, There's a great devotional that we've read to our kids called Created for Work. It's by Bob Schultz, and you can find it on Amazon. That's a great one for just encouraging a good, strong work ethic. But again, back to passing our faith on to our kids. One of the things that we did not do, I did not feel led to do, And I know that Christian families out there feel led to do it and you should do it if that's what God is leading you to do. I did not make our kids memorize scripture. I had them write out scripture in copy work, but I did not make them memorize scripture. For some reason, I just felt like that was not something that was for our family. And I find it very interesting because I would see other families who were memorizing scripture like crazy. And I just, it was hard not to feel a little, you know, less than, um, but I just would go back to, okay, Lord, if that's what we're supposed to do, would you show me how to do that? And he never really led me into that. And what was interesting is that it's not memorizing scripture that's going to save our kids. I think it is good. I think it it can be a wonderful way to sow God's truths into their hearts. And if God's leading you to do it, you should do it. Uh, For our family, it was a lot more conversational, you know, because I was in the word and my husband was in the word. We would bring up the word in conversation. So this really became sort of a natural way to um, encourage and instill the word in our kids. But I just wanted to share that with you, not because I care either way what you do, but to encourage you to do what works for your family. What is God leading you to do? Maybe in this season, he's not leading you to memorize scripture, but he will down the road. You should do it. Do what God is leading you to do. But I wanted to share that story because sometimes God leads us to not do something and it can feel kind of awkward. You know, we can feel sort of like, wow, I don't know that I'm being a good Christian homeschooling parent because I'm not making my kid do A, B, C, or D, um, but it's not a good fit. At least it's not right now. Listen to that. Follow the Lord's lead. Let him lead you in these things. um, 
so we shared our struggles and our challenges with our kids. We shared our victories. We read our Bibles. We shared biblical com- concepts in conversation um, in, in, an, in an effort to give them a, a biblical worldview. Um, we just walked out our faith in everyday life. And you know what? It forced us to grow as well because we cared about these kids. We cared about passing our faith on to them. And that put a certain amount of healthy pressure on us to continue to grow in our walk with the Lord and to continue to follow His lead. So the thing is, you guys, homeschooling will not save your kids. It is a work that God has to do. But... In spending time with our kids, we get to see what it is specifically that God is doing in their lives and might want to be doing in their lives. And we can pray that much more specifically over those things. So this homeschooling thing that we're doing, you guys, it is such a privilege. It is also an incredible opportunity to grow faith-filled, productive adults who make a difference in this world. But it does not come by being overly focused on bookwork and checklists. Bookworks and checklists, in and of themselves, they are not bad. They are a great way to stay intentional. Um, there's certain things that we just we can get from bookwork and from checklists, very helpful tools. It says in Proverbs, though, that we make our plans, but God directs our steps. So we ask God for wisdom in making the plan, but we also hold it loosely and we're flexible so that we can follow His lead. He knows our kids better than we do, and we truly can trust Him to work everything out for our good and His glory as we raise these kids and facilitate what He is orchestrating in their lives. <music> 